What's up, podcast people? Welcome back to the Zero to Hear podcast. On tonight's show, another craft beer owner, uh, because I love craft beer. I know you guys do too. Mariner Brewing founder, Byron Vallis, very uh, smart guy in the beer industry. See what he's doing with Mariner Brewing. We sample a few of his beers, which were phenomenal, by the way. Check it out. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave us a review and subscribe. As everyone knows, I love beer, and so we're doing another beer podcast, and we are going to review a few as we go through. Byron from Mariner Brewing, thanks so much for coming on. I am pretty pumped, obviously, to drink beer, but also learn about Mariner. Yeah, thanks okay, for having tell me. Tell us what we're, what we're drinking right now. Yeah, so we've with. just cracked into uh, one of Mariner's Orion Premium Lager. So this is a uh, beer we make year-round. It's... Um, it's basically a Hellas lager. Uh, we, we don't call it exactly a Hellas lager because it's slightly too hoppy to be a Hellas. But um, yeah, it's like a nice, crushable, um, refreshing lager, you know, brewed for the West Coast, meant to be, you know, brewed and, and drank all year. Um, it's, uh, yeah, pretty like malty, but uh, um, yeah, not too sweet. Uh, pretty mild uh, overall in flavor. And then it's got this nice kind of like uh, zesty, slightly fruity hop character from uh, Mandarina hops. You said Hellas lager? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Uh, so it's a German style of lager, um, and this is brewed kind of, um, yeah, similar to that. So it's usually got a bit of sweetness to it, uh, less bitterness than a Pilsner, so it won't be, yeah, like quite as hoppy as mm -hmm. Pilsner. Um, although these days everyone's making Pilsners that are like not that hoppy, because uh, it sounds cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this we don't call a Hellas because it's not exactly a Hellas. Um, but yeah, it's we call it premium lager. It's like all malt, all Canadian malt lager. Uh, and then we use mandarina and tradition hops, which are kind of like fruity, but like fairly subtle still. Yeah. A lot of uh, brewery people talk about the gateway beer into craft beer. Yeah. Would you classify this as one of those, like trying to convert those like 50, 60 year olds who grew up on Budweiser and Canadian? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I mean, we sell more of this in our tasting room than anywhere else. Um, it's really popular in our tasting room. Um, it's really good beer all around, but... Um, yeah, it's definitely like a gateway kind of beer. Hmm. We do have a lot of people come into the brewery and say like, um, yeah, like what do you have that's like a lager and we have this lager. Yeah, um, yeah. so that that is why we brewed it. We used to make a cream ale um, that was kind of similar, but uh, yeah, really the lager, I think it's, you know, it's more approachable for a lot of reasons and it's, uh, this one's tastier beer as well. I almost grew up the opposite in terms of my beer drinking experiences is like, mm -hmm. Budweiser and Canadian, I thought were disgusting growing up. Mm -hmm. And so now to understand that loggers can, taste profiles of loggers can be different than a Budweiser and Canadian. So I'm almost getting into these types of beers more in the last year or so. Almost mentally, I would see a logger on a menu and just be like, I'm not, I'm staying away from that. Yeah, kind it of sounds thing. boring. Yeah. But there's so much you can do with this beer, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And this is like, it's interesting to hear you describe it as a little bit more fruity, a little bit sweeter, mm -hmm. which maybe is something that I like, but like it just has so, it, it seems so much more complex than like something like a Budweiser. Yeah, thanks. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what we're going for is right. like what tastes kind of like a Budweiser, but like way better and has all that stuff that like a Budweiser is clearly missing. Totally. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, do you, do you describe it that way? Like, yeah, it sounds like I think we've accomplished that. 
I could talk about it for a while. I could talk about mm-hmm. beer for a while. Just like every sip, you almost like pick up on something a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. Um, before we get into Mariner and the backstory and how you got into beer, mm-hmm. I want to hear your opinion of BC craft beer in terms of like, who is doing things the right way? And you can't say yeah. Mariner because I know you're going to be biased. <laughs> That'll be assumed, we'll yeah. say, and we won't <laughs> exactly. talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Other than Mariner. who? Yeah. So in terms of like two main categories I see from a consumer point of view in craft beer is one, branding. Mm-hmm. If you have a phenomenal brand, it's going to stand out and people are going to buy your beer. Yeah. Even if it's like mediocre, labels on shelves that stand out yeah. sell beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two, like the actual product that you're selling so i want to hear from your opinion and you're allowed to have favorites Mm -hmm. it's not like you're a dad with six kids and you like my parents (laughs) (laughs) and you don't have favorites you're allowed to have a favorite in bc craft beer yeah but who's doing things well or who do you look up to in terms of branding um yeah in terms of branding so i mean yeah i definitely look at different breweries for different things Mm -hmm. i think that you know i mean it's kind of generic maybe to say, but like everyone has their strengths, but like it's true. So, you know, I don't look at any one brewery for everything. Uh, In terms of branding, I think uh, from the beginning and to this day, Fieldhouse has been doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm. Um, Josh is like very skilled and very, uh, very great at executing things um, and just an excellent designer. So um, yeah, we really look to them um, for branding, social media, like really, well, really tying everything together as well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, literally just last week we went to their tasting room to, um, yeah, like see what, you know, what new food they had and stuff. Totally. Um, also, uh, yeah, I mean, well, like a lot, I mean, there's really a lot of, yeah, like, a uh, I mean, a lot of great brands, it's like, I'm not gonna have time to mention them all, but like four wins, we look at quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Strathcona is always doing interesting things. Um, Steel and Oak, um, I really love all their new seasonals. I used to not pay as much attention to their core lineup because I was like, oh, it's all loggers and like I'm more interested in IPAs and stuff. And like that's kind of how we run our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, yeah, what they've been doing with their new seasonals has really impressed me. Like this this summer I had like several beers where I was like, holy cow, like they, I'm shocked they can do, you know, those core classic beers so well as well as these seasonals so well. Totally. Um, and then how they all tie it together, like with the brand, like it just flows so well. Um, I'm s- yeah. obviously super close with them just because my business affiliation with Steel and Oak. Mm-hmm. And so I know their beer better than any other brewery's beer in, in BC, mm-hmm. but I'm super impressed with them in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Like you said, when they started five years ago, I thought their beer was pretty good, but kind of, they didn't really go outside the box that they were in. Yeah. And now they've been doing a ton of creative stuff, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of other breweries are doing. So maybe that's just kind of like a trend in, in beers to do a little bit more one-offs, do more seasonals, yeah. keep the core, those core three or four that you do throughout the year, but do a lot more seasonal stuff. So it's interesting that you mention you mentioned them. I don't know Fieldhouse that well, and maybe it's just because it's Abbotsford and it doesn't seem like out here in Burnaby, Vancouver, you see them in liquor stores as much. And maybe yeah. that's just because I'm not looking for them. So I don't know them. Yeah, I mean, I'll well. be honest. Um, yeah, like, I mean, talk, in what I mentioned them about, um, you know, really looking up to them in terms of branding and stuff, mm-hmm. I, to be honest, don't drink all that many of their products. Like, I think I probably have had maybe three or four in the last year. Okay. Um, but yeah, really in terms of, and I mean, their, their beers are great, don't get me wrong, um, but there's only so much beer I can drink. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really in terms of, yeah, like the social media, on-site experience, like merchandise, everything ties together so well and is so, like, engaging. Like, mm-hmm. whenever I see their posts, like I read the whole captioning. So I'm like, this is interesting and it's worded in a really cool way. And mm-hmm. like, 
And then that ties right into like the stories or like what's going happening like there that day. So um, yeah, really like the whole kind of cohesive brand experience. I think they do uh, exceptionally well. Um, yeah. And yeah, to your point about um, like breweries doing a lot of new things, um, talking about the beer industry, I think you can't not talk about how like kind of everything has gone bonkers a bit in terms of like the number of SKUs. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, sorry, I say number of SKUs, that's like an industry term, but like the the number of new products people yeah. are coming out with and sometimes all the different formats they're in as well. And like, there's just so much like like experimentation and also like new stuff happening in beer. It's mm. um, it's pretty interesting time to, to be both in beer and also like to be a beer consumer, you know, seeing everything that's coming out. I, I ask this question a lot to brewery people, but how much of what you do is like wanting to be creative in your own brand and versus staying on trend in what is popular in the industry right now or mm -hmm. consumers right now? Yeah, I think we really try and do both at the same time. Yeah. Um, like really, I think the brand is more kind of like something that we layer onto everything we do to make sure that like like everything has to be on brand. We can't like, you know, even if we wanted to, couldn't make a beer that was like really good or something we wanted to do, but like it just doesn't make sense to our customers, right? If they walk sure. in and they're like, is that a guest app? Or like, where did that come from, right? So everything has to be kind of like the brand layered over that. Um, but then within that, of course, you know, like we're a brewery, we're, you know, essentially, a, you know, a really like kind of, um, I don't know how to put this, but like, um, you know, on a basic level, like an interesting kind of like, you know, manufacturer that has like some kind of, you know, like social excitement around it. Um, but like really we're a manufacturer, we want to make stuff, we want to sell it. Um, so, you know, we look at, yeah, we look at like, what do we want to drink? What do customers want to drink? And then how would Mariner do this? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, we, yeah, we figure out how, you know, how our brand can, can, you know, make these cool hazy IPAs that, are delicious and you know hopefully some of the best ones out there and also like fit in with everything else we're doing mm -hmm. people talk about of course you need to make a product that people are going to buy and enjoy what uh, do you do much in terms of like field research i guess is, would be the kind of term but in terms of like talking to people as they're in the brewery saying like what do you like and don't like about this beer if you could change mm -hmm. something about it, would you 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 know would you make it less bitter? Would you make it more sweet? Whatever, whatever. Yeah, I'd say yeah. We do a lot of. Was it of, more just like this beer sold really well, so we need to do more stuff like this? Um, it's pretty multifaceted, I would say. Yeah. So like definitely, yeah, like how fast something sells is like totally. pretty good indication of like how popular it is, how you know how good it is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to some degree. Um, but also, yeah, like people's opinion of something and like their perception of it is you know just as important as what it actually is. So we definitely, we talk to a lot of people like in our tasting room, we, I mean, we're kind of constantly talking about beer with the team and like the brewers, all the, you know, the tasting room team members. Um, yeah, so we really, I don't know, we kind of, I would say slowly coalesce like a, like an idea of what the next beer should be and mm -hmm. what, you know, it should taste like and not taste like. And it's pretty collaborative. Like it takes a while to, to come up with stuff and um, yeah, to have everyone kind of like on the same page about like you know, what it should be like. And if they're not on the same page, at least like understanding how people got there. Totally. You, so you mentioned Fieldhouse for someone who you look up to branding wise. Mm -hmm. Who do you look up to beer wise? Who's doing cool things right now with beer? Uh, oh, there's a lot of breweries. Um, <laughs> let me see here. Who stood out to me recently? Um, well, like I said, yeah, Steel and Oak this summer, I had a few of their seasonals. They're very, like very well put together yeah. in addition to being like interesting ideas and coolly branded, like just mm -hmm. really well-balanced beers. Um, yeah, I mean, I do really like a lot of stuff that Twin Sales puts out too. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't try quite as many beers as I like to. I often see something on social and be like, oh, I should pick up a bottle of that. And then like a month later, I'm actually in a liquor store that might have stocked it and it's gone. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, there's really too many breweries to mention. Like Four Winds continues to make amazing beer. Mm-hmm. Like there's new projects like Temporal Beers making like delicious stuff. And, Who's like, that one? Uh, Temporal. Where's that? Um, so they, uh, they're in Vancouver. They're based out of Lupulo. I believe they still are. Um, yeah. But it's basically like an all barrel aged project, but like very experimental. Cool. Like, yeah, kind of lots of mixed cultures and stuff. So, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of development going on. It really kind of depends what you're looking for. I mean, like with Mariner, yeah, we definitely look at like, you know, what is Twin Sales and Superflux doing, um, you know, because like people look to them for IPAs, which means like they then, you know, they're kind of expected to be on the cutting edge. So, you know, knowing what they're doing is like pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, like Four Winds, like for, I mean, kind of everything they do and Steel and Oak. Um, yeah, for a lot of the like more classic styles and also seasonals. I was thinking of something today in terms of just like topics of where to take this conversation. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was thinking about is when I turned 19, I uh, started bartending and I bartended for like five years in just a random neighborhood pub. Mm-hmm. Um, while well, I won in Poco, one in Burnaby. And it was kind of like socially unacceptable to go out for beer at lunch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that was only like, I don't know, 10 years ago. And now with the emergence of this crazy craft beer industry, mm-hmm. it almost seems like beer is super socially acceptable now. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, it's just like, it's cool to see such a crazy transition because I love beer and I love, I don't know anything about brewing it. Mm-hmm. You'd know way more about that than me. Uh, but in terms of like the creativity, the imagination and just mm-hmm. how many different flavor profiles you can put together with different ingredients, yeah. I think is so cool. Yeah. And I love just experimenting. Like I'm that guy that I'll walk into a liquor store and be like, Oh, I've never seen this label before. I'll try that one. I'm not going to go back to something. Well, I will too, but like most of the time I just want to try a bunch of new stuff to get those different yeah. flavors. But it, it's crazy to see how quickly something like beer can go from like, Oh, that's that would be weird. Why would you go to a sports bar at lunchtime? Yeah. To like, oh sweet, you're going to Mariner Brewing? I'll come with you. Yeah. Right? It's just kind of cool to see the transition. Yeah. It has happened super fast. Yeah, yeah. Something that I uh like I guess a fact I came across recently. So Mariner opened just over two years ago now, or two year, or two years and two months. And when we opened, there was just over 100 breweries in BC. And I remember people like talking about it, making it a big thing <laughs> yeah. when there's 100 breweries in yeah. BC. Because like that's that's really a lot. You know, BC's not that big. Uh, and then now, in the two years since we opened, there's now over 200 breweries in BC. So it's doubled in just two many? years. Yeah, it's really yeah. I was shocked when yeah when I read it. But um, yeah, so you know, magazines like the Growler that you know yep. like catalog all of them have like there's twice as many now. It's it's pretty wild. So yeah, there's an enormous amount of beer out there. And I think that's really helped drive like the cultural shift, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you can go out and like have fun, try like eight different beers at a place that's like not that rowdy. Um, you know, there's just kind of like good atmosphere, good intentions behind it. Like it's really about like trying new things and, you know, you know, hanging out with your friends and, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to see how it drove that shift so quickly, Mm -hmm. even though it's only been like really five years since Mm -hmm. things have exploded. But, um, yeah, it's pretty neat. At the same time, I think, um, I think we'll see, we'll see it change a lot in the next few years too, right? Like, you know, you, uh, for example, you're saying, you know, kind of just starting to like get more into loggers or like appreciate loggers. Um, you know, I think, I think there's going to be a big shift maybe, 
wouldn't say away from like things like fruit sours and IPAs, like they're here to stay. But, you know, I think right now people just want everything turned up to 11. But like at some point we'll just say like, you know, what should I, what's like a more regular beer, you know, like what's something with more subtle flavor. And I, yeah, I think that'll kind of be a big change over the next Do you think that's next? Yeah, I think so. I mean, people have been saying for a while, like lagers are going to come back around. I, I think it's, it's due pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Just lagers or Pilsner's lagers like that? No, yeah, that stuff. I think we'll also start to see like more um, like lighter beverages. Like I think of like um, like Four Winds, uh, like Featherweight IPA being like pretty ahead of its time. I think it's going to do great over the next few years because it's like still full flavored and interesting, but it's like yeah, a bit more subtle, a bit lighter, Mm -hmm. less kind of in your face. Like this one's got pastries in it or like whatever the new thing is. Um, Isn't that one lower alcohol content too? It is, yeah. And I think people appreciate that too, right? Because then if you could have like two different beers in a day instead of one real strong one, well, like that's cool too. You know, you can try different things. Totally. That was one of the things I was going to ask you is just like trends. And so for me, since I've been into craft beer, which has maybe been five years, Mm -hmm. it's gone from like the overpowering like double hopped ipas that yeah. are like 90 100 110 ibus to sours for a couple of years and now it's like mm-hmm. this crazy hazy trend but it seems like it's kind of dying out like everyone's done mm-hmm. the hazies and it's almost like what's next kind of thing yeah exactly so yeah. it's interesting to hear you uh your thoughts being like the more subtle uh, flavored stuff like lagers. Yeah, I think it's starting to come out a bit already. Like I noticed it this month, basically, uh, like a lot of breweries would typically do like a pumpkin beer or pumpkin yeah. spice beer. Still, totally. there's quite a few of those out there, but I've noticed more and more this year for October time, people did, including Mariner, actually, we have it, uh, we're getting it on Thursday, is uh, like a Vienna lager or like Oktoberfest lager. So it's like still seasonably appropriate, um, still delicious craft beer that like probably has interesting flavors people haven't tried. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of like, you know, like throw a pumpkin in it, throw a spice in it, it's like it's more like a like more regular beer and it's yeah a bit easier to like more approachable and like just kind of dialed back a bit to something more like normal instead of over the top so totally yeah carl what's your favorite kind of beer like you i was i was in love with the hazies mm-hmm. the strong hazies i was all over that i still yeah. am yeah me too i found one in the liquor store today that i hadn't seen before so i grabbed it yeah what is it what is it uh it's in there you can go look <laughs> i think it's a Stanley Park? I don't know. I've had most of them. Mm-hmm. Drink, have you had... Uh, drink more Mariner's beer than I care to Odyssey admit. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. Cool, okay, I, yeah. I think we should need to open that one. Yeah, sounds good. Do you want to try this one? Is this the new one? Uh, yeah, this that... This is the one that's year. Uh, no, that's a new one. That's a September release. Yeah, so we have our uh, Polaris Northeast IPA that we make year-round. It's like a 7.5% really tropical hazy IPA. Uh, and then we made this Odyssey IPA. So it has uh, it's like six or so different hops in it. Uh, it's a bit lighter in color, a bit less sweet, more like citrusy, a bit floral hops. So it's pretty interesting, really hazy, super hoppy. It's the first beer we dry hopped three times. Um, so it's triple dry hopped, <laughs> um, which just helps get like more flavor, uh, more haze, more aroma. What does that process look like? Uh, it looks like our brewer, Jeff, uh, with a big old bucket of hops, like a <laughs> five gallon Home Depot bucket filled like half or more full, usually climbing up a ladder, um, <laughs> opening a port on the top and pouring them in and then closing the lid before it all foams up. And so uh, how long are they in there? 
so they're in there at different times. So um, what are the new techniques that Brewer's using with uh, hazy IPAs? So do you know what dry hopping is? Or yeah, or, yeah well, for the audience, anyone who doesn't know, it's um, basically hopping, like putting hops into um, a beer that's already been brewed, so it's now fermenting. So there, it's, it's like room temperature or colder, and they're often done just a few days before packaging. Um, so um, yeah, so what we do uh, with our dry hopping is we'll often put hops in the day we brew the beer. So like right at the very beginning with the yeast, and then uh, like four or five days later, we'll dry hop again, and then three or four days later, we'll dry hop again. Um, so that just helps, um, well, it helps, uh, yeah, basically get more aroma out of it. The yeast will kind of do different things depending on um, when you put the hops in, so. It smells florally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the main hop in this beer is cashmere. Also has Cascade, uh, Columbus, Centennial, Bravo, probably something else I'm forgetting. How many different types of hops are there? There's so many. There's like a hundred. <laughs> um, yeah, whenever the brewers are like looking at the recipes or adjusting them, they have these like these sheets with like lab printouts of like the different um like oils and stuff that are in the hops, like limonene and myrcene and like whatever, like limonene is the one that smells like lemons and stuff. And they look <laughs> at like different percents and they can be like, this hop is like partly like this hop combined with this hop. And then they're like, oh, great. So we'll substitute that for this hop. So it's like, it's really crazy, like how complex it gets and how many varieties are out there. Like, um, yeah, I don't know how the brewers do it. Like it takes like decades, I think, to really like have a, a great grasp of like what hops will do to beer. I don't even know Pretty where wild. to begin with that. <laughs> like thousands probably. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and there's new ones coming out all the time, too. I love beer so much. There's just so much to know, girl. That's actually crazy. It is crazy. There's new hops coming out all the time? Yeah, like so... the crossbreeding and all that stuff? Exactly, yeah. So I think right now a lot of the big ones are coming out of, like, New Zealand and Australia. Mm. Um, there's a few new German ones I heard people talking about this year. And then, like, you probably heard of the hops like Citra and Mosaic. Mm. They're, like, two of the most popular ones. Yeah. Those... Um, I don't know exactly when they came out, but they really got big just in the last like 10 years. Do brewers make mistakes? You're saying there's a lot of like trial and error with this stuff and saying like, oh, oh yeah. that sounds like it would be good with that. <laughs> and yeah. then they put it together and you try it. You're like, ooh. Yeah, Maybe not definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's making food and sometimes it doesn't turn out. You know, you could burn a cake and you can do <laughs> weird things to beer too. So yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, mistakes can happen. Is, I guess when you're planning a new beer, is the recipe experimented with on a small scale? Yeah, so we have a pretty structured process. The way we do it typically is we will um, we have like weekly meetings, so we call them beer development meetings, and we talk about like new beers we're developing, uh, and then we have uh, what we call so basically we come up with ideas there. We like you know maybe come up with five ideas, pare it down to one or two, decide which ones we're gonna like move forward in the process. And then we have uh, what we call an exploratory batch program where we basically do like a, a 100 liter brew, which is like two kegs. That's like a pretty small amount for a brewery of our size. Um, they'd be on tap for just a few days. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll come up with a recipe. We'll um, sometimes do some like small scale trials first, like one or so liters, just kind of trying to get an idea of the flavors. Mm -hmm. Then we'll brew the 100 liter batch, um, uh, sell that in the tasting room, get feedback from customers, kind of look at like how fast it sold, that sort of thing. Uh, and then make any adjustments we want to make. And at that point, we either like scrap it because it you know didn't go great, or we you know make any adjustments and then move it on to full scale production. So um, yeah, now we're putting out about three new beers a month. So That's we've cool. kind of developed like initially it was like how about this, and I guess we should test batch that, and oh, it tastes good enough, let's make it. <laughs> but you know like over the you know a few years we've kind of got it more regimented. So now 
um, yeah, we have this organized process where we can like turn out three, three new recipes a month. What's the craziest idea you've seen in one of those meetings that you were just like, no, that's not going to work? Um, a bunch of savory beers. Uh, after Twin Sales did the lobster thing, yeah. um, we kept talking about like, what about like, <laughs> I don't know, like saltine crackers or <laughs> that one's not very interesting. <laughs> but like, what about like, uh, you know, like savory pies, like chicken pot pie beer or something. But um, <clears throat> like, I just don't think they're going to fly. I think savory beers. <clears throat> Um, probably just wouldn't taste good. I don't know. We had one of the <laughs> owners from, um, what was the Abbotsford Brewery? I don't know. His, his name was Kevin. Oh, it was, uh, Silver, Valley. Silver Valley. Oh, Silver Valley. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, Kevin from Silver Valley on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have them on Instagram and I was watching some of their stories recently. Mm-hmm. And I think they threw a pecan pumpkin pie nice. into one of the, like, whatever, <laughs> kegs or whatever. Yeah. So I guess that's savory type of idea just throwing stuff in there yeah how creative can the brewers get with that kind of stuff um i'd say as creative as they want to be the only Mm. thing that like we just kind of limit the scale they do it on right so if they want to do something that like probably isn't going to taste good but might (laughs) taste really good you know like one in a thousand chance or something we'll just get like brew a really small batch make like five liters just in case it's not not good yeah um yeah but really yeah i definitely like we are always trying to come up with new ideas and um yeah, and really just like make tasty different things. So we don't don't want to like throw out any ideas or or like not experiment. Mm. Isn't it crazy how obviously with this boom of craft beer, the education system around craft beer has grown so much too. Mm-hmm. Like multiple colleges are offering four-year degrees in brewing. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. So in terms of like hiring people, what type of education is if any are you looking for in um, brewers? Yeah. Is it more experience? Is yeah, experience well, more? I'd say it's kind of like the whole package. Like, yeah. it's definitely a mix of experience and education. Like, I would say either experience or education is kind of required. Sure. Um, and if not, then, like, definitely, like, a really knockout attitude um, and work ethic. Like, we're a really small business. We only have, like, eight or ten employees. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, really, you know, like, ideally someone who kind of has worked in small business really helps us a lot. Um, but in terms of education for our brewers, um yeah, education or experience. Like one of our brewers uh, recently graduated from the Kwantlen program, which yeah. I would say prepared him extremely well for working in our production brewery. Mm. Um, whereas our head brewer, Kevin, um, doesn't have formal brewing training, but has like more than a decade of experience making beer and then and being a head brewer for most of that. So um, yeah, that also works really well. How was the guy that went to the Kwantlen program? How was mm-hmm. his experience there? Because I've heard mixed reviews on it based on like, Teaches you a lot about the science behind brewing beer, but it's yeah. not a lot in terms of practical knowledge of how to actually run a brewery day to day and that kind of thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. So yeah. he knows a ton of stuff, and I think had a good like it, like you know found the schooling to be well organized mm-hmm. and learned a lot of stuff and things. Um, we did find, and he did find um, that like yeah, some of the practical stuff like. Like it's just kind of like it. A lot of brewery depends on scale. So like he had worked, or their sure. their practical stuff was in like one hundred and two hundred liter sizes, which is like you imagine like a big soup pot. Like most people <laughs> kind of have an intuitive idea of like how heavy that's going to be, roughly like how to handle it, maybe. Um, whereas the stuff we're dealing with is like four thousand or five thousand liters, and it's often at like you know medium pressures, like thirty psi and stuff. Like that can blast things really fast. Um, so like that kind of thing, um, yeah, I think maybe they don't 
they don't get into as much. So like mm. we just had to train them a lot on like the safety of like sure. handling like hundred pound hoses full of hot water and kind of things like that. That yeah, that don't don't relate to the science at all. Right. Where they kind of do if you like think of the pressures and stuff. But like um yeah, it just yeah, it takes a bit of time to get used to working like yeah, like kind of big scales. Like it's kind of weird, but like there's like a you know, our brewing tanks are basically like a 17 foot tall cylinder of liquid and you can stand like right beside it and it can be that like freezing temperatures and like, you know, two atmospheres of pressure. Like it's kind of bizarre. Like yeah. it's, yeah, it's, uh, it can be dangerous certainly. So you have to just be really careful and thoughtful about that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, but I think, um, I think the brewing program is great, but I think, um, yeah, it might, uh, you know, everyone would probably who goes into it would benefit from like practical training as well, sure. like getting a summer job or something. Is there any like intern portion of that? degree um, i guess not if... i don't think so yeah they have like an on like an on-site brewery but like i said it's kind of on the small scale so right. um we did hire jeff our brewer uh i think it was like in between semesters so he was with us last summer as well before he had finished school and that worked really well so mm. um yeah cool let's chat about the beginning of mariner yeah okay you kind of took a 180 in terms of a career yeah i guess so. going yeah. from <laughs> Well, I'm probably going to say this wrong. Was it uh, surveying in like the mining industry? Uh, sort of. It was, well, I worked for the government of Canada and it was uh, specifically as the Canadian Environmental Assessment Agency, which is this like relatively small agency of like 80 or 100 people. Maybe it's a bit bigger um, that like does these two and three year, two to five year reviews of like really major projects. So these okay. are like multi-billion dollar projects usually my, <clears throat> mines is mostly what I worked on. And, you know, you, you can imagine like a project that big, it's, they're like in the middle of Northern BC somewhere. And they're basically like digging up mountains and things like that. Like they're just like crazy big. And, um, you know, in doing that, they can, you know, like harm things like salmon habitat or like air quality for local residents or like, you know, hunting grounds for, you know, like either recreational or indigenous people like hunting and stuff. So there's kind of a lot of stuff that has to be considered in doing that. So this agency would... Um, there's basically a law that says that, you know, people doing these projects and there's like a list of what the projects are have to submit these like super complex reviews. So, um, the mining companies would go do like four years of study in like the middle of the wilderness or whatever. And then they would submit to us these like literal, like two to 3000 page documents, um, about like the various topics. So in total, they're like 20 or 30,000 page documents. And then we have like a team of people that like reviews them and like basically tells them like, okay, you can like, there's all the, I don't know. It ends up basically being like... Uh, how does it work? Like it's basically a 100 page report. A minister makes a decision on whether the project should go through. And then usually it goes through, but there's like, there's conditions. So basically it ends up, you know, the gist of it for the mining company, for example, would be like, you can do your mine, you can drive your trucks and everything, but you can only do it like until midnight each day. And your trucks can't go more than like 40 kilometers an hour. Cause there's too much dust. And like, you have to like, like make a salmon hatchery to fix up salmon habitat, things like that. So mm. um, it really kind of gets into the nitty gritty of it. So it was, um, yeah, it was like these big long projects that we would work on. And it was like, it's really interesting, important stuff. Like, you know, like I, uh, you know, feel really connected to the outdoors, feel really, you know, uh, grateful to live on the West coast of Canada. Mm. Um, you know, so I, you know, felt like it was important work we we're doing. Um, but at the same time, it like, it takes years and it's so dry. And it's like, sometimes I'd, you know, read 300 page fish report, like four times over looking for like details and stuff. And like, it's just crazy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was my, uh, my previous life up to a few years ago, um, before I got into making beer. <laughs> were you one of those dudes that was just sitting around having a casual beer with a buddy saying like we should do this we should start a brewery uh because yeah, i've been that guy that, before. yeah yeah basically <laughs> um 
Yeah, my friends and I used to go down. Uh, well, first we started by going into Vancouver. I remember when Craft Beer Market opened up. That mm-hmm. was like our go-to place. Um, it was great because like where else could you get like all the totally. new beers, mm-hmm. like really good food, like pretty cool location. Um, yeah, so we would go down there and just talk about like, I wonder like what's new with this beer and what is this brewery doing? And like, I tried that one from them last week and stuff like that. So yeah, we had those exact conversations. I think that was probably like six years ago before I really kind of got into things. Um, yeah, and it kind of went from there. I saw Yellow Dog pop up in Mo- in Port Moody and that's mm-hmm. really kind of what I guess made it stick with me that like this was going to come to the Tri-Cities too and and just like BC and the suburbs in general. Totally. Was Yellow Dog was the first one in Port Moody? Um, yeah, by like a month or so. Moody okay. Ales was like basically the same time. And they're what, five years old-ish? Uh, yeah, I think they just turned five this summer. Okay. I think June or so. So obviously the concept is brewing. Mm-hmm. How do you turn it from just crazy idea in your head yeah. into what it is today? Um, or even just like what is the first step in the process of, hey, I think this would be really cool to bring a brewery to the Tri-Cities. Yeah, What's next? so I would say the next step, I mean, there's kind of a few things like, well, obviously there's like stuff happening at the same time, but like really for me, the next step was to kind of like try and form a picture of like, what would this look like? Mm-hmm. You know, like if let's say, you know, everything goes according to plan, we, whatever, a few years from now, we're going to open a successful brewery in Coquitlam somewhere. What kind of beer are we serving? How much of it? Like, how big is this operation? Like just trying to, trying to define like some of that like kind of key stuff of like, is it really small in my garage? Is it like Molson size or like, you know, it's somewhere in between probably. Yeah. So like kind of how big and what kind of beers, who are our customers? Like, mm. um, so really I just, uh, I think I just like start on my phone writing down some notes. Like I think it would be maybe this big. And, you know, I was at Yellow Dog last week and they had like this many customers sitting there and like, you know, it seems like about this big. So stuff like that. Um, and I'm kind of a numbers guy, so like I built, I basically started building this spreadsheet of like how much does beer cost to make, and like answering <laughs> some of these questions that I myself was wondering. Like yeah. I'd homebrewed for several years, so I knew like kind of the basics of like the equipment maybe and like the process a bit. Um, but yeah, I didn't know much about commercial brewing, so we were yeah just trying to pin down all those those kind of you know decisions, I guess, or mm-hmm. like in terms of what it would look like. Um, yeah, and then once I had an idea of like you know what was important and and kind of what some of the, the key factors might be, then we f- tried to find a space, um, which took a while, and then tried to find a brewer, um, found money, uh, got equipment, all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> was it always going to be Coquitlam? Um, pretty much, yeah. We like kind of loosely looked at like Brewers Row at one point, and then also like Port Coquitlam. Um, but yeah, really Coquitlam made the most sense to me. Mm. I grew up just at the top of Mariner Way in Coquitlam and I like, I really knew the area. I knew like what the city's plans were like for the city center over the next like several years. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it kind of made the most sense to me and I wanted to do something, you know, rather than be like another brewery on Brewers Row, like they've been very successful and, um, yeah, we wanted to do something different and saw it as more of an opportunity to be in our own city. Mm. What, uh, what types of things did you want to do differently? Um, I mean, it really came down to the beer. Uh, I'm a strong believer that it should. Um, yeah, like, yeah, like looking at like the liquid, as you know, we might call it, um, that's around at the time, there wasn't a ton of hazy IPAs. And, um, you know, I knew that they were going to blow up. And I thought, like, you know, I think we could do a good job of this. Uh, and then, especially, there wasn't many fruit beers, there wasn't many sour beers, um, which has come to be, I mean, 
yeah, maybe not as huge surprise now, but like, um, yeah, like that was kind of our plan going forward is like make this stuff that other people are making. So now like our blueberry sour is like half our production. It's a really tasty beer and it's half your production. Yeah. Approximately. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, it changes seasonally, but this past summer, that was it. Yeah. Cool. Um, <clears throat> going from idea to finding a space. Mm-hmm. where does the name come from or like what is the next step in terms of opening doors kind of thing but like obviously finding a brewer who's going to be able to make beer at scale mm-hmm. you had done some home brew so you kind of knew that process but where did the name and like how much effort goes into branding before you're opening doors yeah definitely a lot um yes i mean with names like it took a while i think we're it was getting to the point where it was like impeding our progress because we're like, we can't <laughs> totally. like, or don't want to like register our company with some random name because then we're stuck with that random name. So we wanted to, you know, get it nailed down. Um, but it took us, I think, like six months to really finalize our name because, um, you know, you don't want to change that, right, once you have it. Um, so for us, we had, I mean, basically, we would just like make huge lists and then like periodically cross off the bad ones and like try and, yeah, like get it down to, you know, a few or just a name. Um, Mariner really stuck for us. Uh, I was initially on the list because it's the name of a street in Coquitlam, uh, Mariner way. Um, but really, you know, we're thinking about what we wanted to do with a brewery. Like, why are we opening a brewery? What, what is this brewery even about? Right. And for us, it's a lot about like, um, you know, about new creating new beers that aren't out there. Um, you know, being experimental, but also, you know, refined and precise in what we do. Right. Like, you can always get new beers from Mariner and they're always kind of interesting, usually kind of cutting edge beers, but they're also really well put together. Um, so we wanted something that kind of, you know, fit with that, right? Like what is both experimental, but also, um, yeah, like, yeah, also, you know, well put together and and well done. So um, the name Mariner really stuck with us because uh, initially of the Mariner space missions um, in the 60s, um, you know, they were, uh, you know, out there, like trying to chart new planets and new stars, uh, really, you know, like exploring territory unknown, which is one of our slogans now. Um, but they're also, you know, like it's science driven and it's space exploration, like it's not random, like you're looking for stuff and it's cool and new, but it's like, it's really organized. Um, so that kind of stuck with us. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, also, you know, the spirit of a mariner, like traditionally, a mariner is someone who uh, you know, who navigates like the sea, right? They're using boats, but, um, you know, they navigate by the stars. They, you know, they're exploring, but they have like a course in mind and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that, that really, yeah, coalesced into the concept of Mariner. And we have, uh, yeah, a few slogans now, like I said, explore territory unknown and set no path, never be lost. Um, which yeah, really embodies that, that concept. And, um, I think it comes across in in the beers we do. Um, you know, I'd also say like, you know, I always think we can be doing more to communicate our brand and have a more like fulsome connected brand. So mm-hmm. um, it's always always evolving as we do, but that's where it started. Carl, do you, well, you're not going to remember this, but my grade 12 grad quote was, uh, I can't remember the exact wording. Do you remember it? <laughs> it was something like, uh, don't go where the path may lead, instead create your own something, something, something. Mm-hmm. But I was checking. I was looking at your website today, and yeah. the the one the one you said second, whatever it was, mm-hmm. it was like something about creating your own path. Anyway, yeah. So it's like, oh, grade twelve grad quote. Here we go. We're yeah. gonna have something in common. <laughs> nice. I like it. Um, mm-hmm. Beer wise, well, those first two years, what were what were like the biggest unknowns in terms of one running a business for the first time? Yeah. But just getting the doors open. I know the liquor board in BC is not the most friendly to work with. 
there's a lot of red tape that you kind of got to go through in terms of, did you have any hiccups that way too? Um, sort of, but I think they were super minor compared to a lot of other breweries. And I think that's basically because my previous job was as a government regulator. So dealing with government regulators, I was like, oh, like I know what you want (laughs) and I know how I can, you know, basically get there or, you know, make it look like we're there or like show you what you need to see, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, we really didn't have too much trouble with the regulations. Um, yeah, I'd say it's more like once the doors are open, this is an operating business. Um, you know, I'd never been like an operations manager before. And suddenly there's like all this stuff going on and we're, you know, you know, canning a beer doesn't seem like that complicated when you've got like a professional brewer and stuff. But then you realize, you know, OK, we want to do this two or three times a month and we got to then distribute it all over and stuff like that. So um, I think the startup for us was actually fairly smooth. But uh, yeah, the first op- year of operations was... Um, it was it was hectic and we learned a ton and I think we did really well. Um, but I just can't believe like how much we had to learn in that totally. first year. What was the timeline like from like concept phase to actually opening doors? Uh, it was eighteen months. So okay. that's was, pretty quick, isn't it? It was pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. I just I project managed the heck out of the permits <laughs> and everything, so it it went. Yeah, I think really about as quick as we could have. First year of operations, you said it was a big learning curve. Yeah. What were some of those things that? Um, you either didn't know going in or were just, I don't know, big learn- what were those big learning curves year one? Yeah, I, I think for me, a, a big one was um, just kind of like what everyone's role would look like on a day-to-day basis. Sure. You know, like we kind of knew like what our areas of responsibilities were, but we had no idea like how long certain tasks would take over others or like, you know, what what your day might look like if something goes wrong or misses a, a you know, schedule or something. Um, so a lot of that kind of stuff, like, um, yeah, just figuring out like how I spend my day and like what, what is a normal day, Hmm. you know, when, when everything is new. Um, so really a lot of that was kind of through trial and error, like, you know, just getting it, trying to get everything done and then, you know, trying to document how long stuff takes and, you know, what are the recurring things that we do like weekly or monthly or quarterly, that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, definitely, I, I think like the one topic area that, um, yeah, that was the biggest surprise to me is like how important it is to just like talk to your team all the time, you know, like know how everyone's doing, what they're coming into work with and without and, you know, how they feel about what they're doing, how, you know, how much they want to know about other aspects and, you know, and how, you know, how much they want to know about the background of their work and mm-hmm. like all this stuff. And um, yeah, just like what it, I guess what it takes to keep a team like cohesive and feeling confident and capable and all that. Totally. I've listened to, well, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but one of the cool things I've, I've learned from listening to people talking about managing other people is just people are motivated differently. Some people it's money, some people it's schedule, some people it's time off, vacation time, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people it's just feeling valued and seeing that positive message go out being like, that was a great job you did on that specific project or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I've in my business, I've taken a a lot more effort into understanding what is important to people. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the same thing that you just kind of mentioned there. But yeah. it is a big learning curve when you go from yeah. working for yourself or working as an employee to now owning a business and having employees. Mm-hmm. In terms of like, how do you motivate people? How do you get them to show up every day and have a smile on their face and treat mm-hmm. customers well and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. yeah, totally. That was a big learning curve for me too. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think it's you know it's the kind of thing too. You can never say like, oh, like I know everything I need to know too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's. I mean, I found that you know pretty interesting, and and now you know a couple of years into it, pretty satisfying to see mm-hmm. you know yeah how much we have learned and how much we're still learning about yeah the people we work with and and how to yeah how to motivate them. Going into opening doors, what was the let's say percentage of effort into building a brand and logo and getting that out there versus like perfecting a few core beers um i think it was probably about like probably 60 or 70 percent on the beers and 30 or 40 percent on like the branding and marketing behind it did you have an idea of like what beers you wanted to have let's say i wanted to have one lager one hazy ipa one whatever yeah, that was basically it. Yeah, okay. so yeah, we're like one one lager or lager type beer, one hazy IPA, uh, and then the other two we ended up having uh, an opening or an amber ale and a Berliner Weiss. Um, yeah, so we we basically picked four beers, and we knew we would be doing a lot of like changing and experimenting. So we weren't really like married to those recipes or styles. We sure. wanted to open with good beer that was well made, and then you know kind of see where it went from there. Mm. Um, yeah, so in that sense, like, I mean, we did a few pilot batches and things, but then really we just started, like, gathering feedback, looking at new recipes, you know, and basically, you know, as soon as we would, you know, close to sell through one batch, we'd make, like, the new next interesting thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, of the beers we opened our doors with, we only make one of them now. So uh, that's our Polaris Northeast IPA, and that that's changed, like, a bunch along the that's way. That's the only so. one, eh? Yeah, that's the only one, yeah. I would say... I mean, yeah, on one hand, I'm kind of like, ah, oh, dang, like maybe we could have done better early on. But but no, like I think, you know, like we we opened with really cool beers. They were well made. Um, and then since then, I would say like our stuff has just got better, which is great. Right. So every every new beer we come out with, I'm really excited about. And it's usually better than the previous ones, in my opinion, at least. So, um, yeah, so we're not. Yeah, I guess not really tied to anything in terms of beer styles. Do you have any bad reviews? I was at, like, I want to know about that or more so in terms of like how you handle yeah. a bad review kind of thing. Um, maybe it wasn't bad, but maybe yeah. people had this one specific beer and were just like, eh, it's not my thing. Yeah, I think, well, those are the ones that are more challenging to sure. deal with, right? Because sure. if someone like passionately hates something, there's usually something that you can kind of point to as like, okay, they really hate like chocolate or they hate whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when, when people are just meh on stuff, like that's kind of tricky. So um yeah, I mean, early on, like we made a Berliner Weiss that was good, and that it's just like you know, it's a sour wheat beer. Ours was around four and a half percent, but like no one makes those anymore because everyone would rather have a fruit sour, which is kind of the same thing, but with like a different fruit in it. Sure. Um, so yeah, we learned pretty quick that like, yeah, like if something isn't interesting enough, like just like turn it up, do something new, put it like put a twist on it. So mm-hmm. yeah, on the like business side the managerial side hiring is difficult Mm -hmm. how did those first like few hires go or where do you learn types of questions to ask in interviews and stuff like that or is it more just gut feel in those interviews because i know some people are super structured in interviews and i'm Mm -hmm. not that at all yeah for me it's more gut feel yeah do I connect with someone? Do I think they're going to communicate well to our client base type of thing mm-hmm. versus like, do they say the right thing? Do they have the right education is not yeah, that exactly. important to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's something, I think we started pretty organized wanting to be like, you know, really professional, really mm-hmm. on top of it, uh, you know, maybe more like quantified so we could compare things. Yeah. Um, but really the way, you know, the way we've um, 
we kind of do things now is, yeah, really, I'd say a lot on gut feel, like, like someone's attitude and like, do they just seem to like get it? Like I'm doing air quotes here. Like, do they get it? Like, do they, for us, that's kind of turned out to be like, how are they familiar with small business? Do they know like, yeah, like, you know, if they've only worked in like $50 million plus companies, that's a lot different than our, you know, our company that, you know, is like an order of magnitude or less smaller. Um, so like that kind of thing really goes a long way. Um, also, I think we've definitely come to rely more on experience. I think initially we hired for, I wouldn't say hired for potential, but like, you know, we looked at more like, you know, what, what do we feel this person can achieve yeah. instead of what have they done in the past that they have a proven ability to do. And I think you like that really can't be overlooked. Um, I think maybe especially in our case, uh, like for me not having a background of beer and heading this company, you know, I, I, I'm not the subject matter expert on all these things. So we really need people that are. Um, sure. We definitely found that early on with our brewer, Kevin. Um, you know, as I mentioned, he's got like more than a decade uh, experience making beer. Um, you know, and there's really no substitute for that on certain topics. So, um, yeah, I definitely hire. Yeah, I would. Yeah, like to sum it up, like basically gut feeling and experience, like. Do you, yeah, does it seem like you could just be a great team member and have have you done the things you're going to do? Should we start another beer? Yeah, I think you can. What should we do with you? Um, um, okay, well, we, we just had the, uh, the Odyssey Hazy IPA. I think we should try our other Hazy IPA. So this is the one we make year-round, the Polaris uh, Hazy Northeast IPA. So compared to the one we had, uh, we just had, it's uh, a little more like tropical fruit flavors instead of kind of floral and piney. Uh, so it's got like some kind of guava, mango type flavors. Um, but overall is, uh, you know, approximately the same style as the last beer. I think I'm going to like this one based on that description. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> oh, it smells amazing. Is there any dragon fruit in here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just like that super tropical smell, right? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, you know, guavas aren't that expensive, but some of these guava smelling hops are, why don't we just throw guavas in, in all our beers or, you know, some of these beers. So um, yeah, hops are pretty interesting though. And there's there's a lot of flavors that come through in this. What is this one called again? Uh, this is our Polaris Hazy Northeast IPA. So this is uh, one of the three core beers we have that we make year round. Um, and yeah, second to the Blueberry Sour, it's our most popular beer. Super good people. Super good. Very hazy, very fruity end to the beer. I like it a lot. Um, <clears throat> what do you want people to see when they, or what do you want people to remember from Mariner? What do you want the brand to represent? Um, yeah. So as like when I talked about the name a bit and. Excuse me, <laughs> kind of our backstory. <laughs> um, yeah, like really what we want people to remember is that the beer is really good. Totally. Um, like that's number one for us. Uh, you know, if I have any gripe about the beer industry, it's that people don't pay enough attention to the beer. Um, you know, the liquid is most important in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like label maybe sells a beer, but like, you know, in terms of what makes a good beer, it should be the beer. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I want people to remember is that the beer was well made. It was tasty. You know, hopefully they liked it, um, you know, if it was a style they like. And, um, you know, and then next to that is really, you know, what identifies our brand is that it it's kind of maybe new, cutting edge, or a bit experimental. 
Um, sometimes though, that means just like making a classic style that no one is making. Mm -hmm. uh, like the next beer that we might try is our Afterglow Brown Ale. And like, we're really wondering like, should we call it a brown ale? Like, that's not interesting. It, it's a brown ale. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's really not much to go on there, but, um, but it's delicious. Like we made it, uh, yeah, with uh, Tom at Fawcett malt, which is a great English maltster. It just has a ton, a ton of flavor really classic beer style well done and you know in a in a sea of hazy ipas out there right now like a delicious brown ale is uh is kind of experimental i guess totally what are you mentioned like you want to stand out in terms of like what people should be looking for in terms of good quality beer but mm -hmm. what 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 is the consumer looking at that is not good quality and not so not so much like not good quality yeah. beer but what are they looking at other than the beer well, I mean, like when you go into a liquor store, you know, like you're not you're not choosing what you buy based on like blind taste tests. Sure. That would I wouldn't say be ideal, but like you probably end up buying like a more preferred beer. But really, you know, you're buying based on the label and like plus whatever you know about reputation beer. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think with the number of seasonals that like a lot of breweries are putting out now, um, you know, that means there's like a ton of different labels on the shelves. And, you know, I think sometimes it kind of comes down to like which artwork do I like? And I think on one of the previous episodes, you mentioned, you know, if I've got two hazy IPAs in my hand, which one, you know, one of them's got a cooler label, like that's the one you're getting, right? And like, that makes sense too, right? Like, cause you're, you're judging, you're, you're, you're assuming that, that the brewery is putting as much care into the packaging as they are into the beer. And that makes sure. sense, right? If, if the packaging looks like crap, like the beer's probably not that well made, honestly. Um, you know, but at the same time, that can kind of steer people wrong too, right? Yeah. Because if you put crap beer in amazing packaging, it'll still sell, but then everyone will be kind of bummed about it, mm -hmm. except the person making it, I guess. But um, yeah, so I think, um, I mean, it's tricky. Like with so many new breweries opening, there's really no way to know like what beer is great, it, you know, except for like over time, it, it'll come to bear, right? People sure. will you know, return to the breweries that they like the beer from and they will buy less from the breweries that they don't like the beer from, regardless of packaging. Mm -hmm. um, but in the meantime, you know, it's kind of this like this fight for attention based on like, you know, colorful things and like how big your name is and do you use like metallic or raised things on the shrink sleeves and like all this stuff that like helps on the shelf but might not help the beer or doesn't help the beer. I guess how do you represent the quality to a consumer who doesn't necessarily know you, who's never heard of Mariner before yeah. and is looking at those two cans. The label is really the only thing, Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, we put a lot of thought into our labels and into the names of our beer. Um, I, like, I'm just constantly amazed and impressed by the design company we work with that has, you know, helped us from day one make our vision, yeah. you know, have like a you know, a visual and a, a textual reality, you know, in terms of cans and packaging. And I'm looking right now at one of the box trays that carries our cans. Like it, <laughs> it all has to be, you know, branded and fit together and tie together. Um, and that's super important because, yeah, like like you say, that is how we communicate it to mm -hmm. our customers. Like if, if the packaging is well made, you know, before you open it, you, you know, you'd hopefully think that the beer is well made too. Sure. The problem comes in where, you know, if you, maybe the sales team spends time on the packaging and that sort of thing, but then someone says, well, like, just use that cheaper malt, that's fine too. Uh, and then the beer's not as good maybe, right? So um, I think it, it all has to match and it, it's just, it can be confusing sometimes when, yeah, when you've got not good beers and great packaging or great beers and bad packaging that happens, you know, just as often, which is unfortunate. So yeah, it, it's tricky. That's why we love the design team, Carl. <laughs> yeah. 
What I get, is there anything else you would advise a consumer to look at if they have two beers that are whatever pale ales, pilsners, lagers, whatever mm-hmm. from two different breweries that they've never heard of? Mm-hmm. How do they make the decision? Um, if it was me, I'd just yeah. get both and try them both. Yeah, I mean that's a good way. A lot of places sell <laughs> yeah. single cans now too, right? Totally. That's like you know it's like a five dollar less commitment. That's not too bad. Um. Yeah, I mean, next to that, like, maybe look at, like, I hate to say it, but, like, if you wanted to do it quickly, maybe look at, like, the overall untapped score of the brewery would give you some idea, like, but at the same time, that's just, like, you know, I guess it, you take it with a grain of salt because it's just, you know, public opinion or, or, like, uh, yeah. like I guess, popular vote in that sense, right? Yeah. Like, it's, um, you know, awards kind of help, but really that's more often about, like, how much does it meet the textbook definition of that style and how long has that brewery been around to accrue those awards? Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say like probably your best bet honestly is just like talk to people like, you know, text your buddy who likes craft beer or like go to a bar that sells a lot of it and ask them what's popular. Like, and that'll, you know, give you a starting place and then try a lot of different beers as well and see what you like. Cause, um, yeah, I definitely have some friends who, who, you know, who like breweries that I don't and, and vice versa. And, and like, that's the cool part of craft beer is it's all, you know, subjective. It's what you want to get out of it. On that note, interesting that you say twin sales and not that I have anything against twin sales, mm-hmm. but in terms of Brewer's Row, mm-hmm. they're not my top choice for beer. And maybe I need to try more. But I guess the last few times I've been there, mm-hmm. not that twin sales gives a shit about my opinion, but... <laughs> My thoughts have just been like decent, mm-hmm. whereas I'm a pretty big fan of Moody. I like, yeah. I really like what Moody does. I agree. And they switch it up all the time, which is exciting for me who likes to try something different every time I go there. Mm-hmm. And then they have bakery next door now, which is just doing like a bunch of crazy wild shit. Yeah. Which is interesting. I think I had a, uh, a what did I have? Rosemary Saison or something like that last time that I was there. That was good. It was yeah. super interesting. I keep hearing people talk about the carrot beer. People seem to either love or hate the carrot beer. I don't remember what style it is, but it's got carrot. They don't have it anymore. Oh, okay. I was there oh, maybe, two maybe weekends ago maybe, and they didn't have it. But okay. I think the first time I went there, they had it. I can't remember if I had it or not. Anyway, they do a, a bunch of ran, like really random stuff, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, the guys at Moody do a great job, in my opinion. I yeah. think they they really know... I would say they really know what they're doing, basically, right? They make some beers that... Well, like they make all the beers basically, right? So they, yeah, they have, well, they run the bakery, which has all these crazy new sours with Mm -hmm. lots of interesting adjuncts and, you know, and also like some classic stuff. And then they have, you know, really well-made, they have a really well-made brown ale, for example, and they have really good IPAs. But then they also have like a value brand lager. And like, like I would say like they really kind of know what they're about. Mm -hmm. You can get pretty much what you want to get there, Um, which is really cool. I think they do a better job than others of having you know, like a, like broad beers. Like if you could only buy beers from Moody Ales, like I think pretty much everyone could find something they like, which you definitely can't say about a lot of breweries, you know. But also some breweries don't intend to do that. Um, I mean, with Twin Sales, like, like they do make good, they do make tasty beers um, and they do a lot of interesting stuff. But also, also, like I said, even like kind of regardless of the liquid, you know, like whatever your opinion on that, you know, like I mentioned, like people look to them, like, you know, after like they swept the BC Beer Awards, IPA category, things like that. People look to them to see what is new and cutting edge with 
mm. with IPA. So to some extent, like they they define like a bit of the category, right? So totally. Um, yeah, even you know, even if someone doesn't like it, like you got to know what they're doing, kind of. Or that's my opinion as someone you know making beers as well. Do you think the consumer looks at those awards though? Uh, I mean, people look. I think ev- like everyone kind of has their own concept Where of do how they important look, they are. Well, often it's on the can or the packaging. Right. Okay. Um, or they're like in the tasting room and you see a row of trophies and it's impressive, even if you don't know what they are. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm like, I don't think they're that important. It's kind of more about like, you know, it was that can on that day that the judges ranked it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which sometimes means that the judges recognize that beer and they liked it two months ago when it came out and they're like, oh, like that's tasty IPA from Twin Sales. Like, and I th- <laughs> well, I think what you said about fitting the criteria of the award. Yeah doesn't necessarily produce the best tasting beer. Yeah. Or the most consumer friendly beer. Right? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. Like it's it's ranked too. And I mean, our beers have fallen to this as well. So like, for example, our blueberry sour, we keep entering in the fruit beer category and we keep getting beat out by these like multi-year, like barrel-aged fruit sours mm-hmm. that are like so much more complex and they have so much more going on. But like they release like 100 liters a year. Right. Whereas like this blueberry right. sour, like we, you know, we make tens of thousands of liters a month. You can get it all around. It's really tasty, but it's like, it's totally different. Like the, the intent of it is just totally different than like these, you know, complex aged sours, but yet they're all judged against the fruit beer criteria, which is like, you know, eight points on what a fruit beer should taste like. And probably the amount of people that it appeals to mm-hmm. would be very different too, right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of the normal consumer can't pick out a beer that has been aged for eight years versus... Well, or uh, they'll taste it and they'll be like, oh, what the hell? Because it yeah. tastes kind of like leather and like totally. has some barnyard flavors, but like... <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, a, you know, a peated scotch or something compared mm-hmm. to, you know, yeah, something more simple that you would maybe buy on a regular basis, right? Like totally. they, they have different intentions behind them. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I think, you know, like awards, just like, you know, Google reviews, just like untapped reviews, like it's context dependent. Probably best bet is to talk to someone who knows beer a bit or like, you know. Uh, you know, like there's there's so much beer knowledge around. Like I think for anyone in a liquor store, like you could probably ask any liquor store staff and get like pretty solid opinion on like, you know, what to buy. Totally. A lot of people that drink a lot of beer probably. Yeah. Yeah. There's more than 200 breweries now. Is that what you said? In I think BC. it might have been 195. I might have exaggerated that, but okay. it's basically Around it's 200, 200 plus or minus five or 10. Is that an intimidating figure? In um, terms of like how I mean, saturated kind of, yeah. can craft beer in BC get? Yeah, I, yeah, it's a weird time to be running a brewery, I'll be honest. So, um, I mean, overall, like there's a lot of breweries that their sales and volume shrunk last year. There's Mm. this big report that comes out once a year where the LDB like tells you how, like the dollar value of all the brew, the beer that breweries sell. So you can kind of get an idea like how big people are. Some of them, it's wild. They're still growing, like almost doubling every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of breweries that, you know, we as, we as, might assume as consumers are growing are mm-hmm. in fact not. Um, and I think that, you know, is, um, I mean, it kind of speaks to how many, you know, new players are entering and how, uh, you know, if you look at overall beer consumption in BC, it's going down slightly. Craft is still growing. Uh, you know, as we kind of win customers over from macro beer. Um, but overall, um, you know, production is outpacing um, sales and there's, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, without getting into too many like statistics and the economics of it. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of beer out there mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of breweries out there. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I think that's why we're seeing so many 
uh, breweries come out with new beers is partly because they're delicious, but also partly because they get people's attention, right? Sure. Like if something's new and has a great label, people notice um, and they'll try it. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of breweries. They're also, uh, nowadays they're kind of tending more towards like small community focused breweries. Totally. Uh, like I met the team from, I might get this wrong, something chicken brewing, Angry, Angry Hen? No, I might get that wrong. Uh, in, Kaz, it? in Kaslo, BC, okay. um, it's a new small local brewery. Um, it's more like the nano scale than the micro scale. Um, okay. But like they're doing well. Like the community loves them. They're making like beer for people in their town that want to like drink their beer and support the brewery. Like it's going really well. And you know they're not like you know another big production brewery opening in Vancouver trying to you know like take over the world or, or whatever we're all trying to do. Um, Is that yeah, a sustainable I, business model? It really the, can be, yeah, yeah. The small community brewery, not focused on distribution, just wanting to produce beer for that. Yeah, I would say that it, you know overall might be the more sustainable model. Like, really, if you look at the margins, you know, if you can sell beer at you know six dollars a glass compared to like two bucks a can, um, which is the same size as glass um, you know, on the wholesale market, like that that makes a lot of sense, right? So if you kind of scale the whole overhead and back end down, um, you know, and sell most things through your tasting room, that can work really well. Uh, in the U.S., that's uh, you know, I wouldn't say they're ahead of us. Like they've got a pretty different market down there, which is the, like the number of people and cities and that sort of thing. Um, but there's a lot of places that basically run like brew pub chains, more or less, where yeah. they're you know they brew their beer on site, and but they maybe have like five locations, and like ninety percent of their sales are through the tasting room. Um, yeah, and there's kind of everything in between too. Like Modern Times is another brewery I look at a lot, and they have I think three or four tasting room locations now, and. Um, they have like mini golf at their locations and all sorts of cool stuff. And it's just like, they have a place called like Leisureland. You go down there, you hang out, you have some beers, some food, play some mini golf. And like, you know, like it's not hard to see how that's like a really bomb ass idea. That sounds like an awesome afternoon. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think breweries are getting more creative in how they structure and what their focus is. Um, but I think a lot of people in BC are still focused on volume and like growth as as like the place to be, but mm. that's not necessarily, you know, like the best way to make the best beer. I might say that whole customer experience thing, like having a mini golf course in a brewery, that'd be pretty <laughs> cool. But it just doesn't even make sense in Greater Vancouver because it's so expensive. Space is so expensive, right? Yeah, that's true. Like you can't lease a fifty thousand square foot warehouse and have a mini golf course in it. Because it would just cost too much money and you wouldn't be able to sell enough beer to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot you can do though. Like right now, um, it's kind of early, but like I guess I'll talk about it. So, Mariner, uh, we have like this renovation plan we're doing. We're basically opening up like a bit more space in our tasting room. Cool. And we're trying to think of, you know, what else can we do besides put tables and chairs there? Like sure. that's interesting. Sure. You can come sit down and have a beer, but like people like to do other things. They like to, well, like, so, I mean, a couple of things we've come up with is like, you know, why not a couple arcade games? And what if we put in a projector in there so we could have like a weekly video game tournament or something, um, you know, or what if we have like, you know, one of those like book exchange things where people can like, you know, take and leave a book and we, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, keep it rolling. So I think, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of reasons that people want like a community hub and mm-hmm. like a, a place where they can come do, you know, various activities, including having beer and food. Um yeah, and I, th- I think breweries are, you know, kind of slowly, you know, understanding that, that like 
the people, a lot of, I think a lot of the reason people are coming down to breweries is to try the beer, but it's also because it's cool, a new, interesting way to, to hang out with your friends. Mm. Right. Um, but you know, maybe once you've tried like 10,000 hazy IPAs five years from now, <laughs> we'll all be thinking well, like, I like, I want another hazy IPA still, but like, you know, I'd love to play some mini golf with it, which brewery has a mini golf course. So. I don't think we'll ever get a mini golf course, but you never know. It's that's a, a bit, well, bit that's a cool thing that Fieldhouse has, right? Is yeah, there that exactly. big door yeah. space where they have cornhole and like whatever they want out there? Yeah, they are literally like they are literally now a field house because they put the field in front of them mm-hmm. and there's like that house, you know, vaguely house shaped building there. So. But just in in like Vancouver proper or even in a close suburb of Vancouver, it's mm-hmm. unrealistic just based on size of property really right yeah that's true but i mean at the same time you have places like colony that has you know all the games they do and things like that and they're not a brewery but like they're you know right in granville's entertainment district and stuff so um yeah no no, i would say anything's on the table at this point Hmm. for breweries most breweries don't have food yeah it's different licensing obviously sort of that's a bit of a misconception yeah okay it might depend where you are. For us, the only difference is our health inspector also inspects our kitchen instead of just our bar. But it's the same number of licenses. We're dealing with, we're not dealing with any more people than we otherwise would. Interesting. Um, okay. It might be a little different in Vancouver, but. Um, I thought like tasting room license was different than like, I don't know the terminology, but restaurant license of being able to do food um, as well. No, maybe you're... No, not for us. Like once you have your lounge endorsement, which is the thing that allows you to sell more than one beer a day per right. person, right. which most breweries now have. Right. Um, once you have that, you're you're just kind of considered like a liquor primary vendor. They in fact make you have some food options available. Right. You have to have either like at least like chips and like sausage or something like that. Um, but then, yeah, besides that, it's up to either like Vancouver Coastal Health or Fraser Health, depending where you are. So is it more just... The aspect of having a kitchen is one more staff, but it takes up more space in the brewery. I think it's space. Honestly, I think it's mostly the complexity of like, it's kind of like a separate business, right? You're essentially running a small restaurant. Sure. With, you know, within your other business. So, um, yeah, like it it took us a while to kind of get a handle on ours, but, um, you know, now that it's, it's up and running, uh, it, it goes pretty smoothly. So do you see that as more breweries jumping on board with yeah, I would More say food, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would think so. Like, so for example, for us, once we introduced, uh, it's kind of like four or five key items on our menu that mm-hmm. like are like tasty, savory, hot dishes, um, our beer, beer sales went up like 25%. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like not hard to see that like people were people leaving because they were hungry. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, once you've had two beers and nothing to eat, like, you know, may or may not drive home. So um, yeah, but if people can, yeah, you know, order like chicken wings or like a, you know, big hot dog or something like that, like they'll, a lot of them will stick around more. And they'll also get to try, you know, like food beer pairings can tie mm-hmm. in together. Maybe, you know, in addition, like we do some kind of like new and seasonal food items too. Not like a ton, like we're not a full restaurant by any means, but like, um, you know, for example, we're having an Oktoberfest theme party uh, this nice. Friday and we're serving uh, bratwurst with like onion jam and a cabbage salad and it goes perfectly with a pint of lager and like, you know, that that's a pretty good pairing, so... Um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, just kind of another way for breweries to be creative. And, um, I, I think more will, yeah, we'll get kitchens. I keep seeing Brewers Row bring in, like, they started with food trucks. Now they're doing like food pop-ups within the brewery mm-hmm. and there's like Parkside does like regular brunch and stuff. So I think they're, you know, they're getting there. 
It's probably harder in Vancouver when there's already like lots of really good restaurants sure. in walking distance and stuff. But um, yeah, certainly in the Tri-Cities and out towards the Valley and then the rest of BC, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's try one more. I'm super excited about this brown ale, by the way. Oh, cool. I had one recently. Where was I, Carl? Where was I like four days ago? I had a really good brown ale. Was it on the island somewhere? Carl, you don't know my schedule? <laughs> There's not too many. So it could have been Moody Ales. They have their hearty brown ale. Or it could have been um, the Naramata Nut Brown, if you were at Cannery Brewing. Red Arrow, I oh, told nice. you it was on the island. <laughs> nice. Okay, I was a Red Arrow. That's where it was. It was like a really, I don't know. I, I don't super love brown ales or at least what I think are brown ales because they taste like molasses to me. Yeah, they got a bit of that, yeah. But this one from Red Arrow, props because that was a good beer, nice. was more like a little bit sweeter, a little bit more like toffee aftertaste. Mm, that sounds good. Which was delicious actually. Carl, try that one. Oh, you did? It was delicious. Well, yeah. Fuck you then, Carl. <laughs> that was my opener, baby. Was it? Yeah. Use Carl's beer. Um, what yeah, are we so, drinking this one? Uh, so this beer, this is our Afterglow Brown Ale. So, um, yeah, so I mentioned earlier, so we use uh, all like Thomas Ferris uh, malts. Uh, we use a base of Maris Otter, which is like a really like rich, good quality English malt, um, which really means, you know, that it's a, it's a very classic style. We haven't done anything too out of the box with the recipe, but we've really used the best ingredients and the best process we can to try and make a really, you know, rich, tasty brown ale. Um, I've had one sip so far, and the best way for me to describe this is it tastes like a coffee crisp. Yeah, it, it yeah it does have a lot of those flavors. Yeah, it's, and yeah. it's not so much chocolatey. It mm -hmm. almost I don't know what the combination of the that cookie thing inside the coffee. But it's like about. roasted and biscuity. I might say like it biscuity. Yeah, yeah. It's delicious. I really like this beer. Yeah, it's uh, well suited for this kind of year. We were it was rainy today, which was I mean kind of it was ugly this weather. Totally. But it's a beautiful sunset we're staring at now. Almost probably mm -hmm. ten minutes mm -hmm. away. Got great sunsets here, Carl. <laughs> Sunset podcast. <laughs> uh, let's kind of wrap up, but let's say, let's wrap up with like, what does the future of craft beer in BC look like in your wild, crazy imagination? Is And, and I guess like, what is the number where it kind of evens out and stops expanding? Because 200 craft breweries in BC sounds like a lot to me. Yeah, that is a lot. Um, I think it might go up to like 230... I'd be surprised if there was more than 250 unless like, you know, 30 to 50 of those were just like really tiny, tiny places. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the future of craft beer, I think it's going to be more of the same if you look at the same as being like new stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's going to like there's there's so many breweries now. We're all trying to make the best beer. Uh, or at least I hope we are. Uh, that's certainly what Mariner is doing. Um, so we're all trying to make, you know, new beer, the best beer. And, um, you know, what that means is that we're kind of always, to some degree, trying new things, uh, being experimental. So I think, you know, I think we'll continue to see, yeah, like new stuff all the time. I think right now we're, we're I wouldn't say we've hit like peak hazy. Maybe we have, but like they're going to keep growing for probably a decade. Sure. Like hazy IPAs are just delicious. Um, so we're going to see lots of those. Uh, same with fruit sours. I think we've kind of seen most of the boom there. And I think now 
you know, the best ones will kind of stick around and there'll be people who like those regularly. Um, but, you know, some of the ones that were just kind of, you know, done because it's new will probably not be done so much. And then I think we'll see a big trend in um, like kind of like lighter beers, not light beers, but like, uh, well, like, I don't know if you guys have seen the the Bridge Primetime beer. It's like uh, it's like low carb, low calorie, but it's dry hopped quite heavily. So it's actually, you know, like for people, I have a lot of friends on, well, not a lot of friends, but like a few friends on keto yeah. or who are, you know, like big into fitness and that sort of thing who are like, I love craft beer, but like, I just can't drink like big milkshake IPAs or like, I like hops, but like, not going to have that 12% IPA, yeah. like something like that. So, totally. and, and like, that makes, that makes sense, right? Like I definitely want those beers to exist and I'm probably going to still try them, but like, I totally get where people are coming from when they say they want lighter stuff. Um, you know, I think we've seen a lot of, um, things like, uh, the nudes and neutrals, like the vodka sodas, totally. um, have grabbed a lot of people's attention because they taste pretty good and, you know, like they don't taste very heavy, you know, they're, they're pretty light and, um, they're like keto friendly, I think. Some of them are gluten free. So I, th I think we'll see, you know, breweries kind of recognize that, that, you know, like the cool thing about beer is it only takes like a few weeks to a month to produce mm -hmm. and it can taste like so many different things with the hops and malts and fruits you can put into it. So I think, I think what we'll see with beer is it kind of follow like general consumer trends, which is going to be hazies are delicious, fruits hours also delicious, but mostly the good ones. Um, lighter beers, really good when they're still full flavored. So like the, you know, good quality lighter beers, like, um, I don't know, like primetime is pretty good. Uh, I think Stanley Park came out with like a, like a keto friendly lager or something like that. I think it's called like electric lager. Um, but yeah, so I think we'll see, we'll start to see a bit of a surge of those and lagers come back because they're, they can be complex and interesting, but like not so heavy. And um, yeah, I think, you know, there'll still be more breweries opening. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few breweries close in the next year or so. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's a great time to be a consumer. Like there's there's so much good beer there's out so there. Much. And yeah, every time, you know, I'm, you know, wondering what beer I should try, there's so many options that look great and probably taste great if I could try them all. Um, yeah, so I, I think, yeah, I think it's a really cool time for craft beer. Talking about health, do you think breweries start advertising calories if they're producing these like, let's say lo like lower alcohol type beers that are less calories? Yeah, I think like if, if that's your target, right? And Like a McDonald's, like McDonald's now has like, yeah, whatever, Big Mac, X amount of calories. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to get, or maybe a few people, but I think most breweries won't get like all their beers tested. Hmm. But if, they're, if, if there's a beer that they know is pretty low in calories, like makes sense sure. to maybe put that on the can. Hmm. Um, you know, especially if it's like on the back or done, you know, tastefully, I don't think it's going to offend anyone, but there's definitely people that are interested like we get asked on a daily basis which beers are gluten-free if any sure Unfortunately, the answer is no which ones are vegan which ones are low carb like yeah. like yeah it, you know where we are in the tri-cities there there's a lot of people you know that like craft beer they want a place to go but they're just like not going to drink a 900 calorie can or mm. whatever they are some of them are <laughs> is it difficult as a brewery owner to stay in shape uh, it can be. <laughs> I've always yeah. wanted to ask that question. Oh, it is. Yeah. So, and you're very thin. So I feel like you're the right person to ask. I just thing. race around all day. That's how <laughs> I do it. I eat a lot and yeah, have a fair bit of beer too. Um, yeah, it can be tricky. Uh, like, especially if you're like on the sales side of things, I would say, or doing totally. the festival circuit, like, 
like holy cow like whistler beer fest like i had to stay in one night it was so much um <laughs> yeah so it can like but i th you know i think anyone who's kind of been doing it a couple of years like you kind of get it everyone's yeah. pretty supportive too like you know there's like there's no harm, you know, no harm in saying no, or there's no harm in like staying in, you know, one day of a three day festival or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I think people are, you know, they recognize that, you know, you don't want to go overboard and that doesn't help anyone. Um, so yeah, it can be tricky, but uh, you know, I think, I think once you've kind of done it a couple of years, you kind of get a grasp on it. <laughs> you figure out some sort of balance. Yeah, exactly. Totally. I wouldn't say the best balance, but some sort of balance. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Thanks so much for coming on, man. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I am very impressed. If I'm totally honest, I have not had a Mariner beer until tonight, mm. but I was pretty impressed. The uh, The Northwest Hazy mm -hmm. was delicious. Mm -hmm. That was probably my favorite. And then this one was probably number two. Nice. This is called Afterglow. Afterglow Brown Ale. Yeah. I like that. This is a good fall beer to me. A solid Thanks. beer. Very good. Is This, this is a uh, seasonal? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be around for probably another month. Check it out. Orange and red can. Where, uh, where can people find Mariner? Um, really all over Metro Vancouver, uh, particularly focused, I would say on like downtown East Van and Tri-Cities. So, uh, probably just about any of the private liquor stores have like our current seasonals and, um, about half the government liquor stores. Um, you can also feel free to give the brewery a call or send us a message on Instagram uh, with your name code. We'll let you know where you can get it. Thanks, man. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, cheers.